Hello and welcome back to the Lonely Girl Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and for tuning in again and again. I appreciate all of you listeners and new listeners. Welcome. Today's episode is a story time episode and it's Kevin's episode. And his story is all about his journey into figuring out how to be happy without having to rely on someone else to provide that happiness for him. And I love his story because it's so relatable. He starts by letting us know how what makes him lonely is kind of like overexerting himself to please everyone. He goes into his story and his childhood and how his search for happiness and for love kind of took him in this beautiful journey. I find that his story is very relatable and a story that we all have. Of course, there's different things here and there, but it is very relatable. I found myself, as I listened back to it, thinking, oh, I've gone through this exact same thing. I honestly think most of you will be able to relate to his beautiful story. I came into this interview with a completely different expectation almost. I thought that Kevin was going to give me a story of what made him lonely was his sexuality, as you'll see. He talks about his sexuality, so I'll let you just listen to that part. That really wasn't the case, and he opened my mind into a completely different world on on sexuality and how he talks about it. I, I love the way that he explained everything and how beautiful and open he is about loving people. Kevin is a bit younger than me and just a newer generation that has this beautiful openness on, on how they view love and how we should all really view love as loving a person and not just a gender. It's so beautiful, so eye-opening, and he honestly blew me away with his, his way of looking at the world and looking at love. Yes, his story was very difficult, the ups and downs of relationships, which we've all had and we can definitely relate to. But at the end, that was his journey, and that still obviously is his journey. And we all get to do that. We all get to experience those ups and downs and those highs and lows in love and in relationships with other people. Kevin has just taken the opportunities sent to him, was resilient about it. Even though he got to a dark place, he was able to get himself out. And that just goes to show that we all have the ability to do that. Kevin's story really just brings hope to anyone who may be struggling with maybe a little bit of depression, not knowing how to control our own emotions, maybe struggling with your sexuality or even addiction. Kevin is very relatable in this case. Another thing is that this entire interview went a little bit longer than expected. So at the end, I asked him to do a meditation. And I'm just going to provide that in a separate episode just because it's a bit longer. I also wanted to let you know that I left a few of my questions in his story time. But for the most part, it's just his voice. Let me know if you like that or if you don't. I know that in the past I received feedback with my story time not having my voice, but it's not really my story to tell. So I left a few questions at the beginning and the rest of it is just Kevin talking to us and letting us know his beautiful story. I hope you can sit back, relax, and enjoy his story and hopefully learn something from him. Here's Kevin. Reiterate the question for me again. Okay, so the question was, what makes you lonely and how do you deal with it? 
I think uh, for me specifically, I've always focused on relationships, whether that's friendships or people that I've choose, like chosen to date. And so the loneliness, I really do believe that the most fulfilling life comes from the relationships and the people around you. So for a long time, I was more of a people pleaser doing what I could to make sure that I was seen as the appropriate figure in their eyes or just like when it came to building relationships, I always wanted to be on a good note. I know I've never wanted to cause anybody discomfort. So when it came to upholding those relationships in whatever in whatever way I had to sacrifice my own happiness or those sorts of things, like I, I just wanted to be that person. And so when it comes to being lonely, I think I have the hardest time letting go of relationships or it was harder for me to identify what it was when it came to the receiving aspect of relationships or just allowing someone to make me feel good rather than always going out of my way to make them feel good. So I've, I've definitely felt hits of loneliness more when it came to the influences and the relationships around me. Is there a specific time in your childhood that maybe you felt lonely? Absolutely. My Back in my childhood, I did feel lonely because my brother and I never really got along. He was much more of the jock, I guess you could say, like a very stereotypical, like well-liked by everybody, was always doing sports, super social, charismatic, and goofy and funny. He kind of had a lot of those characteristics and traits that I didn't necessarily possess when I was younger. And so even when I was younger, my my dad really kind of, my father gravitated towards him in nurturing that relationship where I was more like quiet and reserved and a little bit shy. So in that, it just kind of, it just kind of felt like it was me in the household and like just me taking on the problems or issues that surfaced, especially with my parents' divorce, um, abuse, drug abuse, everything like that. So it, it really kind of felt like there was no outlet or there was no ability or person to discuss the things that I was experiencing or the things that I was thinking and feeling, which kind of um, enhanced more of my withdrawnness in being shy, just because I felt like I couldn't be vocal or expressive. Um, so I turned a lot to writing. Having those records to kind of reflect back on, it's, it's definitely been a good reminder as far as the person that I want to grow into, as, as far as my being. As a middle child, I, I kind of felt, well, kind of how it sounds, like you're kind of stuck in the middle of something where my younger sister was the girl in the family and there was always attentiveness, care, and there was a, a lot that was kind of given to her. I mean, granted, she had a little bit more of the boundaries set as far as her being the only girl and then my brother kind of being the outlaw wild child so it was a lot of their folk like there was a lot of attentiveness and focus on them whether it was the nurturing aspect and making sure that my younger sister was either shielded or taken care of or given what she needed and then on the flip side of the coin my brother kind of being more needed to have more discipline or he was going through rough patches or his trainings or it, there was just so many different things that required attention on both sides. So being in the middle, I kind of was more of the even keeled. I knew from my brother's experiences, just when it came to schooling or those sorts of things, like I knew what not to do. And then being an example to my younger sister. So I, I 
I kind of was just like the person that breezed by. So witnessing from the outside, pers- like outside point, look looking in, like I I think my brother had so much going on, and my younger sister had so much given to her that there wasn't a lot. I don't know. I don't know how to really describe it or put the words to it. But like because because I felt like it was just me, I witnessed a whole lot more than what my other two siblings could really understand when it came to the deterioration of of my parents' relationship or the deceitfulness that was coming from my dad's side or yeah it was my sister was too young to talk to about those sorts of things and then my brother couldn't care less I mean like he was just so self-absorbed in his own reality that there there wasn't really an opportunity to express it or vocalize it maybe if you tell us really what Kevin was going through instead of Kevin understanding what others were going through <laughs> yeah it might be more helpful because there's kids just like you that hopefully one day will listen to this podcast and yeah. you know that's really what I want to hear so it, it, I mean it kind of starts where I caught my dad cheating on my mom and at that point like he on like so he threw me down the stairs and put me up against the wall and choked me out and just told me that I was going to be worthless and wouldn't amount to anything and that I was nothing without him that kind of carried on through the later years where everything that I was doing, I was trying so hard to be the person that he said that I was going to be as far as being worthless and not having any sort of value without his presence. So when it came to, again, kind of what I had mentioned earlier, just about always wanting to be liked or those sorts of things and sacrificing my own personal happiness, it put me in the um, perpetuating cycle of never really feeling enough or giving out too much to where I didn't have that opportunity to receive for myself. So my cup was fully drained and I was consistently panicked and worried, so fearful of how I was going to be perceived by the world that even though I had these pseudo relationships at the time, thinking about even having a lot of those different relationships and dynamics, I mean, when it came to it at the end of the day, my thoughts circulated so much on, am I enough? Is this going to be enough? When it got to that point where I was really feeling the peak of it all was closer to when I was 17. And my father had been an absent father. So after my after I had told my mom about my dad cheating on her and we had the situation that we did, uh, he left. And I hadn't really seen him. It was kind of one of those things where he would start off by like seeing us every weekend, slowly dissipating between like once a month, every few months. And then it just became like years absence. So not really having any sort of father figure or whatever. I've like always clung to more, uh, I don't know. I was always looking for a kind of outlet for expression, I guess. And so when it came to my high school years, I landed in a group of people where drinking became a thing. I don't think I was ever in the mode to self-sabotage, but I was definitely in the mode of like, doing substances to kind of escape my reality or escape myself. So I began kind of excessively drinking to the point where like I would get drunk before going to school or just like kind of kept this whole thing of this sensation of feeling numb. It progressively, it just, I just kept being added on, like trying weed and doing mushrooms, leading to the point of my graduation where I literally, I, I took ecstasy it kind of led to this whole cycle or this pattern of behavior where those words 
of just like not amounting to anything, being worthless without someone and those sorts of things where it it kind of um, emulated itself or it instilled itself in a manner that kept me in this cycle of being careless, not really contributing to my own thoughts, body and mind, and really just trying to escape myself and my reality. And I think that was the most isolating period of overall understanding of life. I mean, you have those people and you have your friends, but for some reason, like, because I wanted to be liked so much by anyone when it came to talking about the nitty gritty or when it came to talking about the the hardships that I was feeling, I didn't I didn't reach out in that sense. So it was kind of like a point where I was ready to combust. So I preface, I preface all of this as far as when it comes to escaping myself, because because my father was so absent. It's weird. I'm sure that everybody sits and psychoanalyzes or just like tries to figure out a little bit more about why they are the way that they are. But I really feel like because the presence of my father was absent, I grew up kind of wanting more of a masculine energy or I was kind of more, I was so close to my mother that I got more of her nurturing side and her soft and caring side. And so when I was younger, going through all of the stuff that I did and with my dad beating me and my brother also kind of taking after that, I was kind of scared of men. I didn't have close male relationships because just of the past trauma and those sorts of things. So, you know, I was surrounded by girls. It was just easier for me to get along with girls. So going through elementary school, junior high, high school, I, I was a little bit more feminine or I was a little bit more, I don't know, there were so many different things that I did as a child that I despised like the sports aspect because it was my brother's thing and it was just like I didn't want to be like him or anything when it came to like masculinity. I just, I was so fearful of it. So when it comes to getting older, like I never, I was teased and stuff. Like people called me Kevin Carrington or asked me if I was gay or those sorts of things and and being a young kid like you don't necessarily understand a lot of your sexuality like I was always attracted to women I was always attracted to girls I had plenty of girlfriends but as getting older it's like I kind of it's interesting because I feel like because I didn't have a lot of masculine energy when I was growing up it's it manifested or it surfaced in a way of kind of an attraction or you would I would meet some of my friends or in the fraternity that I joined later on in college just kind of seeking that out I don't know you you would meet people and they were cool and they saw you for who you were and so it it kind of became an attraction of like oh I want to be their friend or oh I want to get to know more about how they how they how they piece themselves together in the light that they have or it's it I don't know. I never I I never was a, attracted to my friends, but I, I was attracted to the sense of like, oh, they're pretty cool. Like I would really I would really like to I don't have any guy friends. It would be cool to have a person like that around. Here's the thing that was just interesting. I mean, the relationships continued forth and they continued on the way that they did. I made I made guy friends, those sorts of things. They were like questioning about uh, my sexuality and stuff like that. But it wasn't until I had met, so I met this girl, Kylie, and Kylie was 
someone that I immediately like fell for and she was captivating and she was alluring and everything about her was just like exactly what I was looking for in a person. And I think as things transpired between her and I and the heartbreak that I felt and the discomforts that I felt in leaving that relationship, I didn't date anybody for quite a while, uh, like eight months. Later on, I ended up hanging out with a group of our individuals or friends and friends of friends. And I met this guy named Brock. Brock was super sweet and so charming and so kind. And he was kind of like one of those people that you gravitate towards as far as that attraction as far as like qualities of people that you want to be like be around he was one of those people honestly just so charming and just by looking at him you could tell that his smile lit up a room he was one of those people that that you felt better being around just with him being around physically striking i mean he's got some of the bluest eyes i've ever seen i don't know his laugh is super contagious too so anyhow, when it came to meeting him for the first time, it was one of those people that, again, you are just kind of drawn to just because of the presence that they carry in the room. And so when it came to him and I meeting, he was super sweet and it was very casual. And there, it wasn't like, like I guess I knew that he was gay, but I, I didn't really like assume because he's kind of like, he is a man, like he carried himself well, but then, you know, he also had those... Uh, those different things that I guess you can kind of pinpoint when it comes to any association or familiarity with being gay, whether he was being sweet or kind of putting his hand on my shoulder. I don't know, but it was, it was very casual. It was never anything threatening. And towards the end of the night, he asked me for my number. At first I was kind of like, okay, like, yeah, sure. I would love to hang out sort of a deal. But I, I, I just didn't know what sort of avenue. Cause I, I've never really, I'd never really flirted or been with, or even was open to being with a guy at that point. So it didn't really cross my mind as far as what that was going to look like. We ended up hanging out again. He was a group of friends, individuals towards the end of the night, like we were hanging out, we were close and it was just us. And we were walking out to our cars and gave him a hug and those sorts of things. Then he asked if he could kiss me. And I, I think like my Mormon background or just like, I don't know, just a whole bunch of things surfaced in my thoughts of being like, what what kind of impression am I giving him? Or why would he just assume that this was something that he could ask? And just the inner conflict of like, do I do it? Do I not do it? Like, well, what is it that I'm experiencing or feeling? So I ended up saying no, uh, just went home from there. And, you know, he was, because he is the person that he is, he was just like, you know, is everything okay? Like, I don't want to push you into doing anything like that, et cetera, so on and so forth. So it was fine. And then it kind of got to the opportunity where we ghosted one another. Not like ghosted, but took some time apart because I think I, I was experiencing a whole bunch of different things of discomfort. Finally, we ended up hanging out again. The night was great. And towards the end of the night, like we had been drinking. He liked tequila. I liked tequila. <laughs> and not saying that that's an excuse, but my inhibitions were a little bit lower. So when it came to like being close in proximity, I still remember his smell. He had such a crisp like aroma. I don't know if it was Mont Blanc or or what, but it it smelled so good. So anyhow, when I came to that opportunity where you kind of like, I don't know, casually glance at each other and again, his blue ass eyes, his freaking smile. So anyhow, we kissed and when we kissed, it was like, it was different. It didn't feel different. It didn't feel weird. It didn't feel anything. In fact, like I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't tell if what I was feeling in my stomach was more like nerves, guilt, happiness, fireworks, like 
it was just so different and scruff like I'm sure I'm sure you know what it feels like kissing a man with scruff but being a guy and, and kissing someone with scruff it, to be honest it it, <laughs> it fucked my face up like it looked like I had just a big just dryness everywhere my face was so red <laughs> because I mean the kiss was really good we just ended up making out and so it was like sandpaper to the face so I don't know if people just build a tolerance to that over time. Well, yes, yes, they do. Because <laughs> I kiss boys now and it doesn't affect me. From there, like, Brock and I had gotten to know each other. We had a two-year relationship together. So I went from being with Kylie for a few years to then being with Brock. And, like, I felt just this beautiful contrast in love and experiencing that I could fall in love with a man and a woman. And so I've kind of identified myself mostly as a bisexual And then later you find on that girls are not as okay with you dating guys as guys are okay with you dating girls. There's a few weird experiences in that. My relationship with Brock was fun and exciting. I mean, being able to experience uh, different forms of love, it just, I don't know, I, I began to realize how expansive my heart was being more of the nurturing side or there was so many, there were so many different things that were brought out in me because of Brock. And it allowed me to shine and flourish in the areas where I was kind of withdrawn or holding back, not amounting to anything or just those sorts of things that I had experienced with my dad. Going through this whole experience with Brock, even prior to meeting Brock, I had mentioned that I was in a fraternity. Going through college and everything like that, again, I had been with Kylie. And after that relationship, um, and I was kind of struck, my heart was really broken and not dating anybody for a while. So meeting meeting Brock, like, yeah, it, it did confuse me or it kind of like took me back as far as experiencing any sort of like heart racing or different feelings. But not, again, not really understanding what it is that I was experiencing or what I was feeling and kind of feeling isolated in that sense. Because again, not wanting to be viewed as someone different in another person's eyes, like not being liked or not being enjoyed because of of a choice or because of a preference or whoever I chose to date. I don't know, especially because getting friends, getting male friends when I was older, it was like that that didn't happen for me. So I guess the insecurity of being like, okay, if I if I did like go after Brock or those sorts of things, would would my straight friends not want to hang out with me anymore because they'd be nervous that I was attracted to them or um, my Mormon friends uh, wanting to like cut ties because they didn't believe in that sort of lifestyle. It was different. In my fraternity, it was open and it was very expansive. And so there were, you know, gay men that were rushed in, um, rushed in being like a fraternity term, like you rush for it. And I met one of my best friends in that fraternity named Cole. He is as uh, fierce and powerful and I guess you could say flamboyant, dressed to the tens always looking sharp. His hair was dyed two tones, black on one side, white on the other. I mean, just so funny, but he was so confident in himself and who he was. So anyhow, uh, we ended up getting close. I was like a person of his that he contacted in the fraternity to gain more information or just to be like invited out to socials and everything like that. And our relationship, like it began to grow. He was very communicative and very open and talkative. And keep in mind, this this relationship developed before like Brock and I had kind of hung out again. So when I was talking to Cole about 
because he'd asked me, he was just like, have you ever thought about dating guys or those sorts of things? I was like, no, but I mean, like, there is this one guy that tried to kiss me and those sorts of things. And he was like, so what did, what are you feeling? Like, would you kiss him? And I was like, I don't know. Because at that point, I had been thinking about it a lot. Again, what is it? What is it about him that kind of makes me feel comfortable in that sense? So Cole had mentioned, because I was like, I don't, I don't think that I'm gay, but I don't, you know, kind of, it, it sounds generic, but everybody has that conversation. Like, I don't know if I'm gay or not. And so he brought it to my attention, like, the word pansexual, which is not necessarily being attracted to any sort of gender specifics, but more so being attracted to the human being um, that the person is or being attracted to that person's soul. The moment that he said it, it, it resonated with me because I didn't feel like I was in a box or this linear depiction of heterosexual or gay. It was kind of like an expansive fluidity to me um, because. Again, I think wanting more masculine energy around and having a very fine balance or understanding of feminine energy became this thing where I was just, I was more, I was just drawn to masculine energy. So when it came to everything being around Brock, it it was like, yes, I was pulled to him in that sense, just because he provided so many different qualities and traits that I was like seeking or admiring, or even wanting to bring up, like instill it upon myself. But then, uh, honestly, Brock just became a person to me. It wasn't that when we would hang out, I was kissing a boy, or when we were in public and holding hands, like I was holding hands with a boy. But you, you would, you would have those acknowledgments that okay, this is my reality because when you would be holding hands out in public, people would like give you a look, or if you showed any sort of PDA, <laughs> it was it was in those moments where I would realize like, oh yeah, I'm I'm holding Brock's hand in public, and people see that and. At the time, it, we didn't have the movement where gay rights was more tolerated or that gay men could even be married. There's a little bit of fear, I guess, that comes within that itself, was just being treated differently or being viewed differently for pursuing a guy. But honestly, it made me feel, he like made me feel more comfortable in it. Through it all, it was like kind of having a partner in crime. The thing that they don't really discuss well I guess it's probably more openly discussed now is when you're going through the relationship because I heterosexuals even have it too and I it's funny because when I say heterosexuals like defining a person as like straight or whatever but the heteros um they do open relationships and so what I'm getting at is Brock and I were very strong in our relationship and we had a really awesome partnership then it came to long distance because he was pursuing his acting career and he was doing everything with acting and was performing at two con. So he was living in St. George. I was living in Salt Lake. I would go as frequently as I could to see him as much as as much as one could as far as like balancing out your work life, social life, everything else, and then working around his schedule. But it had been a few months. I could just get the sense that something was off um, because I'm a pretty intuitive character, or pretty intuitive being. When, you know, things just feel different, they just feel different. There was a conversation that Brock and I were having where he was like, I miss you so much. Like, and as people do, they they get horny or they want to just like be sexual and never really explored the whole sexual side of things over the phone or not that that was super important to me, but the connectivity and just like and, and knowing something was missing, knowing that something was awry or knowing that something was off. So we were on the phone having a conversation and he was kind of being a little bit promiscuous and his dialogue, which was fine, but I'm like, he's kind of been absent and withdrawn all week. I would rather like talk about the things that we were experiencing going on. And then when it came down to it, he 
you know, he wanted to open up our relationship or he wanted to experience the physicality of what it would be like to be with another person, even though we were together. Again, I think my Mormon background kind of came in at this point and was just like, like monogamy. Like even if, even if it was being with a boyfriend or anything like that, like I, I have always believed that the person that you choose to be with, that's, that's the person that you're with and like opening up your relationship just as like cheating or gross or he was only wanting to do that for the physical aspects of it and not really like everything else in between and so from that point it just like that was such a hard thing to digest I just remember it hitting my core you know when you get anxiety or you just have this again it was that uh, I felt like a piece of myself was crushed And I had experienced it before with Kylie because Kylie and I also had a long distance relationship of me being away in Indiana and her being in St. George and her falling in love with another person while I was away. So it was like kind of back to back, the two people that I invested so much time and love and energy to, they both had that theme of, of distance and being, being able to explore the, I don't know, the different dynamics of how it was with, with the people that were around them. And so Having that uh, darkness reappear in this relationship put me in one of the darkest pits to the point where my thoughts would get so out of control to where I was like, I wonder who he's with. I wonder what he's doing. Is he happier? Like so much of my thought processes process was really focused on him and it was driving me mad. It was driving me mad. And again, this is right when... I picked up in substances again. I began drinking more. I began smoking pot more just as like a coping mechanism because I, I knew it allowed me to escape my thoughts in that sense of not being so fixated on it. But it was interesting because losing him in that sense was so different than losing Kylie. Like, I mean, I've, I'd gone through relationships with women or whatever, but when this relationship surfaced and it illuminated different aspects about me that I that I loved and enjoyed and I felt valued and I felt like I was something with Brock and maybe that was my own fault for putting so much on him for bringing out those things in me because of the fear that I developed just like in childhood or whatever so like when this was when I was torn away I I'd never experienced this sort of low before where I just felt like that sensation or that feeling of being numb I didn't have any high points. I wouldn't when I wasn't like super happy and when I would get sad, it wasn't like I was super sad. It was just everything was null and void. So there wasn't really I had never I don't know how to explain it. I had experienced lows before and I knew the deepest depths of that pain of just previous things, I guess. And so when it came to this, like I knew between I think this relationship taught me taught me so much because I mean through Brock, like I I really thought I had a beautiful understanding of the world. I'd always known that people and relationships is what made life fulfilling. And so when it came to Brock, when I asked him about his dreams, or when I asked him about his passions and those sorts of, like, like being with girls or like dating girls, it's, it's fun. And when they open up and they get to like share themselves with you, they, they share themselves with you and it's cute, it's bashful, it's corny. And I, and I always have felt like when I was with, when I was with women, there was always like, it happens to everybody, so I'm not trying to single out this particular thing, but it's almost like 
they want you to know what's going on in their mind or they're passive aggressive or that communicate. There was just always a communication gap for me. I was just supposed to know what someone was thinking, experiencing or feeling without ever, ever getting that dialogue from it. And so when it came to being with Brock, we were just so expansive in our communication. Everything was I, I was like hanging out with my best friend. So our conversations like they took so much of a different turn where I didn't feel like I had to guess what was going on in his mind or there wasn't this competitive edge between us and like the casual flirting or like he's not texting me back. So I'm going to go ahead and not text him back or like it, it, it was never like that. It, it was so organically fluid. And so when it came to our discussions and stuff like that, when I found out how beautiful his mind was and the way that he viewed people and relationships and was ambitious and went for his goals and those sorts of things, it it really pulled something out of me because he was entirely living for himself. And I think that was one of the first times that I really saw someone take ownership in who they were as far as, I mean, sexuality, career path, those sorts of, like, all of it encompassing. I think it was one of the first times that I'd witnessed someone really capitalizing on themselves or really just taking the opportunity to know who they were. So I'd pick his brain about it. And I'd, I'd ask him, like, how did he get to the, the space that he did? And where did he find uh, areas and opportunities to clear the negative thoughts or to clear, you know, because we all have that voice in our head, that voice that tells us that something is right or wrong or something that feels good or bad. And so when those things would come up for me, I would I would just ask. So he he brought a lot of my true color out. And this was this was so different because I felt elevated and I felt challenged and I felt respected and admired throughout the whole process. And I and this is where I really developed a theme of like leading with love because that's all Brock really did was he led with love. He whenever the situations or the I guess you could say episodes or whenever things got hard it was okay to have open dialogue about it because the dialogue was never meant to intentionally hurt. It was always meant to be progressive and, and build each other up. I, I did. I lost the love of my life and I lost my best friend. And you know, like kind of what I was saying, we had open dialogue about everything. So when he mentioned the open relationship aspect, it should have been an open dialogue conversation. And I should have been able to at least see where he was coming from. But I shut down. I shut down because... I thought that what we had or what we had created was supposed to be perfect or not perfect, but what we created was something beautiful to open that up. Felt like a direct violation. I felt disrespected for the first time to capitalize on that. I like I was moving even further away, which is why I think it was a conversation to begin with, because it wasn't just me being in Utah him being in St. George or in Salt Lake and him being in St. George. I was moving out to Indiana or to Pittsburgh. I was moving out to Pittsburgh. So this happened right, right before I moved to Pittsburgh. So this breakup, I was moving to a new city. I didn't have any friends or familiarity there. I was freshly out of this relationship where I was so pumped to like talk about my experiences with Brock through it all. And just like it, it felt like it was an okay decision because I had someone that was going to be with me. And so moving to this entirely new city and freshly being single, I just remember um, feeling like the rug was torn out underneath me and I fell flat on my fucking ass. When I was out there, like, I, I didn't have any anything to like hold on to. From there, I, I'll be honest, like I didn't have, I didn't have any, I didn't even have a fucking car, to tell you the truth. So like 
I was out in all these different areas exploring Pittsburgh, and this was one of the first times that I was more self-sabotaging, not in just like the drug aspects, but the sexual aspects, because I just opened this door of like, I don't know, my relationship with Brock. So now it was like game on. I was dating girls. I was having sex with girls. I was dating men. I was having sex with men. And it was just like a wide array of different things because I had, it was one of the first times that I felt the most free, but I was also so lonely that I was like seeking so many different things out of different people and different relationships to make the one human that I had. So it was like, I was pulling different aspects out of people, meeting people to to find those things to make what it was that was Brock. So I, I was driving myself mad and they were just pieces. I just felt like myself was scattered in the pieces of so many other people. And I was just doing my best to like hastily pick them up, piece it all together so I myself could feel whole. And I said, I, I was saying that it was like kind of freeing because I literally didn't have anybody to check in with me as far as like what I was doing or anything like that. So I literally got to redevelop myself and be whoever I wanted to be. But I was fragmented. So like I was this I was this really weird egotistical because I didn't give a fuck. I didn't give a flying fuck. I I learned a lot through this. So being out in Pittsburgh, I was doing a sales job. So I had I had a lot of opportunities to read books, those sorts of things. And I came across Brene Brown's book, The Work. That was the first time. And the four agreements. I mean, that was the first time that I'd really learned just about diving in and 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 really trying to identify where the feelings were coming from so I, I was such a reactionary person I was fueled by my emotions there are so many different things that I experienced I was completely and entirely on my own and so I turned a lot to like I for the first time I had one of my own places to myself I had an opportunity to really just like come home from the at, at the end of the day and not have a single human being around. So it was, it kind of felt dark. I regretted going home because I, I didn't have anything. But when I was there, I knew, I knew that I had to make the best out of my situation because I made the choice that I did as far as going out there and I had to work and I had to show up. So like sitting in silence with yourself for as long as I had to, I mean, your thoughts go everywhere. I've always like, my blessing and my curse is being able to see the full spectrum of different things. And I'm like one of those crazy, I think I literally was in my apartment by myself, like having a conversation with myself and being like, Kevin, well, if you didn't do this or yada, 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 well, but if you saw it on this sort of thing, then it would be that like I was going, I could have been schizophrenic at that point, really having that opportunity to sit by myself and hear myself out loud and be clear with my thoughts. I dove into a lot of different books and self-help books because I saw that there was a problem and I felt like my worthiness and those sorts of sort of things were contingent upon somebody else and then it spiraled me back to like past traumas with my daddy issues or whatever feeling like my value was only weighed upon upon a person and that person giving me that sort of power and I had a very open and honest conversation with my mom just about the sensations and the things that I was experiencing, she, you know, she related to me on a lot of different things as far as her relationship with my dad. And so it was cool because, you know, she told me, she just reiterated how great I was and that I needed to take as much time as I needed for myself and by myself and not uh, feel like I needed to cling to someone to to feel worthy. And honestly, it was from that moment of, of being vulnerable with my mom or really just letting down the barriers of not being the strong kid or not being the person that had to balance everything out or see it from everybody's angle to make sure that it was the first time that I felt heard in that sense. 
but that conversation with my mom redirected a lot of different focus and a lot of energy of what I was putting in. And in essence, she kind of like saved my life in that way. So after that, I mean, I found, so I was reading those books, came home back to Salt Lake, was able to regroup, familiar, familiarize my setting, ended up getting into the whole, well, I found out that I had celiac disease coming back. So that was a weird thing, but that propelled me into the health and wellness industry. And in that moment, figuring out my feelings, understanding my thoughts, being okay with my sexuality and just piecing things together. Essentially, I got into yoga where I met Liz Radcliffe and she was my first ever yoga class. And I remember it being a restorative class and she was speaking a whole lot to the emotions and where we carry them in our bodies. And I remember being in half pigeon and just bawling my eyes out. We didn't, her and I didn't know each other then, but I was crying so much. I had so much of this pain that was built up in my body. And I just remember her placing her hands on my back, moving down to my hips and like allowing this release to happen. And from there that, I mean, like that's when, that's when the work started happening really. Like I was doing things, I guess, reading mentally to start piecing those together and became more okay with being vulnerable and sharing my thoughts and sharing my feelings without without feeling like I was being censored. There was a point that I was kind of living a double life. I was dating guys and keeping everything quiet and keeping everything closeted. <laughs> and then there was this other life where I was the popular guy, frat star, scholax, like scholastic person, where I was the person in everybody's eye. So like it finally melded together where I was able to share my emotions, feelings, orientation, perceptions, happiness. I was able to finally like be myself. It's crazy because the feelings for Brock never left. You know, you always, at least for me, like I always carry the peace. You fall in love with people for a reason. So it's like just because you grow apart, things change or anything like that. It, it doesn't mean that what you shared with that person wasn't real. And what you shared with that person doesn't make it a, make an impact on you. And Brock illuminated the most beautiful things about me to myself. He helped me re-understand myself. And so, yeah, it came back to it where we started dating again. So it was a, it was a round two phase. Like I, I don't, I'm trying to pinpoint the moment where, like, cause we always kept in contact after we had split off. Cause he was like, it was one of those catch 22s. Like you were so pissed at the person that you were, that you had broken up with, but they were also your best friends. So they were like the only ones that could help you understand the stuff that you were going through because they were experiencing something similar or whatever. So we always kept in touch. I don't know, he, he had an opportunity of coming back and we were in the same space. So we had time away from each other, time apart, time to like figure our shit out, I guess, grow as people. So when it came back to seeing each other, when I, when I saw him again, it was like everything flooded right back. To like see him in person, to hug him in person, to stare at his eyes, to feel his smile. And I say feel his smile because when he smiled, you like literally felt it. So yeah, then we went on another journey. We went on another journey for eight months or so. And then something kind of shifted there. For him, it was just that he didn't see me being his person. Like I knew I knew that he loved me, but he had this feeling that like I wasn't his end game. So hearing that was like it was difficult to hear for sure because you know I, I like got to a point where my heart was okay and my thoughts were okay. And then to build up and work through all of this, I experienced those sensations again as far as feeling numb. Because I like, I could see my future and my relationship with this, with this person. And he didn't see that in his life. It was a, it was a different kind of hurt. Cause it's like, I feel like when we broke up the first time, 
it was we both saw like well i want to do this well i want to do this okay that's not working this is our conflict let's break up but then it was like this round i was in love and that person didn't feel it so but i was older this time i was a little bit wiser i had dated other people in between handling it a little bit differently this round like i was i was more open to the people that i had around me i had left excel and i was at awaken so i had a a really great space to be in where people were focused on bettering themselves and jenna and liz i mean they were they were both or they really gave me a lot of different tools to express my emotions granted i was a little bit wildly chaotic when things would fluster me and stuff like that i would kind of like blow up and I mean, these these teachers or these mentors, in fact, just being able to control like my breath. So being able to, to practice yoga, being able to control my breath and breathe and sit with myself. When I had those moments in Pittsburgh where I felt isolated and alone, I was like hyperventilating or I was just experiencing mad discomfort. And so something as simple as like controlling my breath was so helpful being able to tune in with where I was feeling the sensations in my body, whether it was the tension around my heart or the tension around my thoughts. I was able to kind of quickly identify where these places were coming from. And rather than being emotionally reactive, I was being um, logically responsive. So it was like I had the pieces of the emotions, but I understood more of them of where they were coming from. So when it came to identifying it, I wasn't giving power or leaning into the wrong side of things. Journaling was another being able to sit down and read my own words to myself. When you write about yourself that you're worthless or those sorts of things and you see it back, it's like that actually was one of the more harder things to do. To know that you were the person that wrote down that you were worthless after hearing it or feeling it. But for you for you yourself to write it down, like no one should experience that. Um, no. But that became one of the most uh, powerful moments for me. And under and understanding that I needed um help uh help really like to see the words and then be like why is it that I why is it that I feel that way and why is it that I feel like I am worthless or but again I mean like all the other all the other tools kind of came back into it the practice of yoga really changed my life a few other different scenarios kind of came through which allowed me to um, piece it together I, I got a therapist started talking to a few things about that uh, another teacher took me through a lot more conversations and was able to redirect my thoughts to where instead of viewing situations in a negative light, I was able to kind of repiece everything together to understand it more and change my thought patterns on it. I don't know. I, there's, there's so many different things you can do. It's like the saying, like, instead of viewing the half, the glass half empty, you can view it as half full. Just a lot of those different perspective shifts started happening for me. And then going through the yoga teacher training program and seeing things through a green lens rather than a red lens. I mean, it was just, it was, it was those tools or knowing that I was exactly where I needed to be or that life was going to test me with reoccurring themes. If I'm experiencing like, like the, the breakups between distance between Brock and Kylie or just the opening of the relationship and the abandonment and the, I mean, like there are so many different things throughout my childhood that pieced together with my current situation. It was like that my universe was overlapping. It was like folding in on itself and I was repeating the same themes and the same trends. And so really just understanding like life is going to test you with the same theme, even though the scenarios are different, even though the situations are different, that same theme of feeling worthy, feeling abandoned, feeling lost, placing your worth with another person, like all of these different things that came up for me 
growing up and experiencing what I have there, they were all still present until I was able to clearly identify them and figure it out and, and why I was experiencing like deceitfulness or the way that I interpreted it or why I, why I thought I was always second best in a relationship. I, I mean, I really did feel like I was second best in a lot of different relationships because the choice or the outcome was never me in the end. And so I, I instilled this belief upon myself that I was second best, that I wasn't going to be the chosen one. My dad left or the people that were closest to me ended up like choosing something else because there was more fulfillment there. And so with this belief, this one particular belief that I was second best, like everything else that surfaced in my life was that same situation. It was that same scenario until I was able to identify the fact that like this dialogue, this belief that I have about myself of being second best or just like not the best. I mean, like really, truly not believing that I was substantial or of worth or those sorts of things. It wasn't until I was able to really clear and process it where my situation and my circumstances changed. Yoga teacher training seriously was something that I didn't know. Like I, I knew that I needed it. It was weird. You know how it surfaces for you when you're like ready for it. It like aligned perfectly. It was in the space that I felt the most comfortable and like the most freeing. And everything that I mentioned about the recurring themes or understanding or knowing that I'm exactly where I need to be or again taking just taking ownership in my breath and in my thoughts and the power that I have and the best thing that I could have learned from that experience is where my beliefs lie if I set the belief for myself I'm going to have the the same things happen and until I'm able to shake the belief or to understand the belief my outcome was going to be the same at this point, I had just faced rejection. I had faced, like, even though things were done out of love, I had faced rejection. And I think the biggest fear that I had was feeling rejected from being who I was. But I was exactly who I was and I got rejected. So it was like, there's no correlation between rejection. It just, like, the things just kind of started clicking and aligning. I don't know, uh, Gabby, I just, like, I started finding the joy and everything. I so ce- I celebrated things like the small victories when my breakfast turned out bomb or there was an extra little bit of guac or like just like the little things like hell yeah that's a win. I just found the little moments to celebrate. It was that perspective shift. Like when I started finding the little things to celebrate, more things were happening that I could celebrate. When I started feeling the joy and every in the in the pieces of my day that I was doing brought more life back into my soul. And I think understanding that leading with love has always been a thing for me. But when I started to believe that love was our higher self or that I am love, like those affirmations of I am love or I am kindness, I am happiness, I am fulfilled, I am full, I am whole. Like you say those things to yourself, you start believing it and your beliefs ripple outward. The more that you, (laughs) this is, again, it sounds generic, but the more love that you have for yourself or the more things that you start to identify and believe about yourself in the right direction really propel you into so many different things that just add to your life. If people think that coincidences are coincidences, that's that's totally fine, but the higher consciousness takes you to a place where it gives you it gives you the things and the more in tune you are with understanding who you are, the pieces in your awareness of those pieces heighten. And it's just like, it just gets better. Things get better. And I had the belief that things were going to get better and that life is is better. It's better because there's people in it. There's people to shape, teach you and enjoy things with. And it, like, it just, it gets better. It just gets better. My new relationship, my, my relationship with Colton is, it's so, you know, every relationship kind of has a, 
similarities or things. And I think that's process of like you dating the things that you date or you date towards the things that you like and enjoy. So, but Colton is honestly the first relationship where he's manifested the self-love. He's like, he loves the person that he is and he loves, it's one of the first relationships where it's been so easy because I'm not the person that has to build him up. I get to be the person that adds to his life and build him up, but he himself has done the work, the work that I've done, the work that I've processed and those sorts of things. Like I've taken that time and I've, I have dug myself out of pits and I have dug myself or I've put myself in a space where I can sit with myself and be okay with the person that I am and love the person that I get to be every single day and learn and grow from those experiences. And he has also experienced trauma, trials. He's gotten to a space where he really genuinely loves the person that he is. And when it comes to this sort of alignment, it's never like we're trying to convince each other of each other's points. It's like we're, we're talking to each other on a steady baseline. I'm not Colton's whole world. I get to be a part of his world. Like he invited me into it. And so there is no value placed on like the relationship is great, there, but there's no value. I'm not put on a pedestal. I don't put him on a pedestal. I don't seek my greatness out of him. Or those sorts of things. He sees the greatness in me. I see the greatness in him. In him, because we are like we are greatness. <laughs> Sorry, I like I hit that. It sounds corny, but he just honestly makes me so happy with how we're able to be ourselves a hundred percent. And the good, the bad, the ugly. Like I'm not saying that I can poop with the door open, but I can if I want to indulge on some food and just like unbutton my button into my pants or like even my toots i have celiac disease so like things make me gassy set but he accepts my toots which is nice the the biggest thing for me is like when i went into the love this round is i look i because i was loving myself i aligned myself with someone that loved themselves and so when it came to us loving each other it like made sense it makes sense it feels good it feels right he's so charming and so freaking funny and He's not the jealous type. I can take him around anybody that I meet and he can see the beauty in people. He can feel the beauty in people. And so when it comes to his dialogue and his connectivity, it's so real, raw, and he's vulnerable himself. And he reminds me every day that everybody is just human. So like there's him and I, I mean, like he mostly, he's the type of person that can, it's like, if I'm feeling discomfort in this room, like I go find out where that discomfort is coming from. And if it's a person, they're the first person that I talk to in the room. And then I eliminate that discomfort and I'm like, good. And I mean, he has so many little helpful tips that we kind of piggyback off of each other on. But the biggest thing in this relationship is we've both taken the work to really unlock our potential. And this is one of the first relationships where it's, we really don't have to seek out of, seek things out from each other to feel whole. It's like we're, we're whole beings choosing to like make ourselves bigger. I finally broke the pattern of the theme and that in itself like changed my reality what a beautiful story from kevin what do you think let me know um you can send me comments through instagram or you can email me the information will be on the show notes for you to contact me if you would like if you have a story to share similar to kevin's or the previous episode which was kate's please contact me through email or through instagram And I'll be happy to feature you in a future episode. I really do appreciate you listening. A shout out to a listener. His name's Larry, who told me from last episode 
that his favorite cookie was a macadamia nut cookie, which those are delicious too. I'm still sticking with the pumpkin though. Yeah, I, I appreciate you contacting me, Larry. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. That's all I had for you today. Look for the second part of this episode. It's a meditation by Kevin. It's just his coping mechanisms. I'll talk a little bit more about it when I post that episode. In the meantime, if it suits you well, please rate, review, and subscribe. And contact me if you would like to share your story. As always, editing by me and music by G Music. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, loneliness is no longer a bad thing. Namaste. Namaste.